When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Basically, you can't have a hate crime against a group that Yale Law School, Harvard Law School, and the New York Times and NPR don't think is an oppressed minority. And I think that now it is very important to encourage Christians in Finland and everywhere that now it is the time to be open, not to be silent, to be open about your faith. In those kinds of services, we have what are called praise teams. I've often wondered why there aren't lament teams. The Bible is not primarily what I would call an upward-looking book, but it's a forward-looking book. So it's, it's not a book that's so much concerned about the die-and-go-to-heaven piece, but it's more concerned. I mean, the thing it's fixated on is the resurrection and the renewal of all things. This is Pastor Michael and Lindsay Schmidt of Natoma, Kansas. And whenever we go on vacation, we always take along issues, etc., to help pass the interstate mile. Issues, etc. Talk radio for the vacationing Lutheran family. More Darren Mangley, please. Even among Christians who, on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis, may say the Nicene Creed and everything that it confesses about Jesus, both God and man, even among those Christians, sometimes their Christology, their understanding of how Christ is both God and man gets a little fuzzy. Now, among Christians who don't say that creed, who don't know that creed, fuzziness falls off into absolute heresy. Would it surprise you to know that a majority of Christians, according to some surveys, actually believe about Jesus something that has been condemned 1,700 years ago by a church council as heresy? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to talk about the Aryan heresy with Dr. Brian Gothier. He's author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Denying Jesus Divinity. We'll spend some time with you, our listeners, in your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. Then Pastor Jonathan Connor joins us again for part three of our series, Kids Have Questions. We'll talk about life issues, the connection to God, and confidence in faith. Dr. Brian Gothier is Assistant Professor of Theology at Concordia University in Nebraska. He's author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Denying Jesus Divinity. Dr. Gothier, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Where would we find the Arian heresy today? Yeah, so Arianism is, is still alive and well. I think the most contemporary expression would probably be the Jehovah's Witnesses that hold that Jesus, the Son, is God's Son, but they deny his eternal preexistence. That is, they don't hold that he is God in the same way that the Father is God. And so they would speak of Jesus or the Logos, if we're going to use language from John's Gospel, as God's chief administrator. What did it mean that the ancient church classified Arius's teachings as heresy? What did that mean then? 
Yeah, well, this is really significant. And if I may, we're talking about Arianism here in the column, but this is not a neat and tidy historical moment to sort through. It's actually quite complex, and there were a number of different heresies that related to Christ's two natures kind of rearing their heads during this time period. J.N.D. Kelly has a great book called Early Christian Creeds that helps sort through this. But let me kind of lay the landscape and locate Arianism for us. So, as I said, this deals with Christ's two natures, his divine and his human nature. And uh, there were kind of four main heresies right around this time in the early 4th century. There were two extreme positions and then kind of two middles. One of the extremes was Ebionism, which was a, a sect of Christianity that sought to be as, I guess we could say, as Jewish as possible, really holding to the idea of one God or being monotheistic. And they went as far as denying the divinity of Jesus outright. So he was 100% human, but not divine at all. The other extreme was Docetism, which denied the humanity of Jesus. It comes from the Greek word dokeia, which means to appear, to seem. And so this particular teaching taught that Jesus just seemed human. And it was obviously influenced by Gnosticism, which lifted up spiritual things, but really held that the physical things were evil. So those are our two extremes. And we had two middle heresies, one being Apollinarianism, and uh, he was uh, named after a bishop of Laodicea, held that Jesus was only partly human, but fully divine. So it really taught that the Son, the Logos, assumed a genuine humanity at the Incarnation, but not a complete human nature. So just external elements of humanity. You didn't have a human mind, just a divine mind. It's almost like putting on a suit, if you think, like a spacesuit. And then, of course, Arianism, named after Arius, who was a priest in a suburb of Alexandria in the 300s, that held that Jesus was fully human, but not fully divine. So what in particular, what exactly did Arius teach regarding Jesus' divinity? Yeah, well, let me lay out a little bit of Arian theology. There's, there's kind of four tenets, right, that are kind of key features to help explain how Arius arrived at the conclusion that Jesus, the Son, is not divine. And so, the first of these tenets would be, and of course there's underlying assumptions that led him to these conclusions, and we can talk about those as well, was the subordination of the Son, or Jesus the Word, to the Father. Because God is transcendent, his being can't be shared with another. And so, Arius taught that the Son was an instrument or an agent of God and of creation. And he holds that because God can't share his being, he's utterly transcendent. And so, Arius taught that the word, that is Jesus, was brought into existence and is thus a creature, albeit a perfect creature, but a creature nonetheless. What makes the controversy so difficult to kind of sort through, and and the reason it endured so long during the fourth century is both sides of the argument were appealing to scriptures. And so Arius would look at like Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and use that to include the Son as a part of creation created out of nothing. And so there's a subordination of, of Jesus to the Father, ontologically, or the re- respect to his being. The second tenet would be that the Son is not eternal. So, I mean, this logically follows, if the Son is a creature, he had a beginning, since only the Father is without beginning. And so, this means that the Son is posterior to the Father. And so, Arius is famous for saying, there was a time when he was not, right? So, speaking with respect to the Son, he's not eternal. He's not pre-existent, as we would confess. The second person of the Holy Trinity has existed from before the foundations of the world from eternity. Uh, The third tenet would be, since the Son is a a creature, uh, he could have no real knowledge of his Father, since he is, you know, finite and incapable of comprehending the the infinite. 
And then, of course, the fourth would be the son would be liable to change. He's not immutable. And and sin. Now, as you kind of page through some of the historical records, Arius seems to have argued that the son remained unchanged and morally impeccable. That is, didn't sin. Not because of any divine nature, but because of his own act of will. So those are really kind of four tenets of Arian theology and what Arius and the other proponents of, of this teaching held with respect to Jesus. What were the underlying tenets? How did he come to these conclusions about Jesus? Yeah. Well, one, uh, Arius held that the absolute transcendence of God, and he had God the Father in mind. So there's no other divine being other than God the Father in the proper sense of the word. And so Arius said, we acknowledge one God who alone is unbegotten, alone eternal, alone without beginning, alone true, alone possessing immortality, alone wise, alone good, alone ruler, alone judge of all. Which means that God the Father is the source of all and everything that exists has its source and origin from him because he alone is is without source. And additionally, whatever constitutes God as God, being, essence, substance, all language, you know, of the fourth century, that's unique. And this transcendent God couldn't share that with another. If that were possible, according to Arius, then, you know, Jesus also being God, that would mean in Arius's mind that God is divisible or subject to change. And so everything that exists, everything you see, has come from God as an act of creation on God's part. So those are some of the underlying assumptions that inform his understanding and his teaching of Jesus. This error was extremely popular, not just once, but more than once in the history of the church. Why was it so popular? It logically makes sense, I would say, right? And so you have the teaching of the two natures of Christ in Scripture, and it's it upholds two realities, right? That the Son is fully human and the Son is fully divine. It doesn't really offer any explanation of how. And so what Arius offers is an explanation of who Jesus is in a way that comports well with human reason and logic. What's the danger of Arianism? Well, I mean, they're numerous. You take away the full divinity of Jesus and then your eternal salvation's at stake. The atonement crumbles. I think I had a whole section on this I talked about. If both natures are essential, if Jesus is isn't God, uh, or is only partly God, we remain condemned in our sin. If he's not fully human, he can't shed his blood to be a propitiation for our sins. Uh, If he's not fully divine, then he can't give his flesh for the life of the world and purify us from all sin. You find these scriptural truths all over the New Testament. So the Savior has to be both. And so if he's not divine, what we hold as incredibly important, our salvation is at stake. We're talking about the Arian heresy with Dr. Brian Gothier on the other side. How did the church respond to Arianism? How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House. 
Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or find out more about the Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, studying the sacrament throughout Scripture. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the Aryan heresy. Dr. Brian Gothier is our guest. He's author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Denying Jesus Divinity. Dr. Gothier, how did the church eventually respond to Arianism? Well, the Nicene Creed, right? I talked about this in, in my article. The Nicene Creed really has a couple of key statements that are set up to speak against or contrary to Arian theology. So the church got together in council in 325 in Nicaea and drafted an initial version of the Nicene Creed, and that ended with the expression, and in the Holy Spirit. The form that we have it comes about after the first council in Constantinople in 381, where the third article, as we confess it, is added. But you'll notice if you just look at the two creeds, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, the second article, that is, that which is about Jesus, is much more expansive. And there's some language in there that is quite specific with respect to who Jesus is. And so what the Orthodox Christians did in this council is come up with four key points. The first being the expression, begotten of the Father before all worlds. And again, what makes this controversy interesting is the Arians didn't necessarily have a problem with the word begotten. They were okay with it as long as they could interpret it in a sense consistent with their argument of the Son's origin. So they understood begotten is also made. So this expression, begotten of the Father before all worlds, is a counter-argument against the assertion that the Son was created out of nothing and had no community of his being with the Father. So this creedal statement holds that the Son was generated out of the Father's substance, which carries the implication, obviously, that, and the creed states this later, that the Son and the Father share in the same full divine essence. 
And then, of course, the second volley, if you will, was uh, the expression, God of God, light of light, and very God of very God. And again, there's historical intrigue here. He wasn't necessarily concerned with Jesus being called God. His issue was that the word couldn't be true God. That was Father alone. And so, you know, Arius would use things like John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom we have sent. His use of that verse is to argue that the Father is God alone, the true God alone, but you could also say that the Son is God. The third expression uh, would be begotten, not made. And so, again, as I stated, Arius was okay with the word begotten, but understood it to be made. And so they could agree to some of these statements and say, see, we're all on the same page. We just, we use the same words, we just understand what they mean differently. This statement clarifies that begotten and made are not the same thing. So the Nicene Creed thus argues that the Father was never without the Word that is the Son. And so they, the Father and the Son, have coexisted from eternity, the Father eternally begetting the Son. And then uh, the fourth key statement that deals with the Arian controversy in the Nicene Creed was being of one substance with the Father. And this is probably the most anti-Arian statement. And again, there's a whole history to the use of this particular word, one substance, or homoousius. But the point of the, of the Nicene Fathers here was to assert the full divinity of the Son. That is, he shared in the very same essence, the very same being of the Father, and was thus also fully divine. So, Ultimately, what the Nicene Fathers were confessing and what all of our listeners confess every time they confess this creed in the divine service is that whatever belonged to and characterized the Father as God belongs to and characterizes the Son. So that was the creed that was established in 325. And again, that didn't end the controversy, but at least it crystallized a certain way of talking about the Son and his relationship with the Father and within the Godhead. And it really established a way of talking about Jesus ontologically with respect to who he is that has impacted the church for the last 1,700 years. Was Arius ever personally condemned as a heretic by the Nicene councils? Yes, he was. Yep, in 325. How did those creeds, you mentioned the Nicene Creed, but then also similar refutations that we find in the Athanasian Creed, in its longer treatment of the Trinity, how do they protect us today from errors like Arianism? Yeah, well, they help give shape to the way that we think and talk about our Lord. Doctrine and practice are two sides of the same coin. And so these creedal statements give us a shorthand way of confessing what the scriptures confess about biblical truths, the Son. And so they continue to shape the way that, in our confessing of these creeds on a weekly basis, shape the way that, that we think about Jesus. So, in that vein, why has the church, and why should the church, continue to be very careful when speaking about the two natures in Christ? Yeah, well, as I mentioned earlier, it's a kind of paradoxical teaching in Scripture that doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. I actually was doing a little research the other day, and uh, Gene Veith, who's written for The Lutheran Witness, he had a blog post a couple years ago that was highlighting a survey about Christians and their beliefs with respect to Jesus. And some of the statistics were staggering. This is a survey by Legionnaire Ministries with Lifeway Research probably three or four years ago, that one-third of evangelical Christians agree with the statement that Jesus was a great teacher, but not that he was God. 
So that'd be 30% of those surveyed reject the divinity of Jesus. And then he also found in this research, two-thirds of evangelical Christians agree with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. So 66%. That's staggering. So Arianism is still around, and the creeds were carefully crafted, thought through, not only to articulate clearly what the Bible teaches, but to give shape to a Christian's confession of who Jesus is, and and to shape that confession that is in line with the scriptures. Dr. Brian Gothier is Assistant Professor of Theology at Concordia University, Nebraska. He's author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Denying Jesus Divinity. The Lutheran Witness interprets the world from a Lutheran perspective. You can receive an annual print and digital subscription for less than $20. Learn more at cph.org slash witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, The Lutheran Witness Magazine. Dr. Gothier, thank you very much. Thank you. On the other side of the break, it's time for listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Remember, our Lord promised us this. He promised us that the world would hate us if we were true to Him. San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione, speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. He gave us the last beatitude, both in Matthew's version and Luke's version, that we're to rejoice when they ridicule us and utter evil against us unjustly. We're to rejoice. The apostles in the Acts, they rejoiced that they were able to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. So it's up to us to keep the flame of faith and true alive in the darkness. The truth cannot be suppressed. Let us be witnesses of that. You can watch and listen to Archbishop Cardilione's presentation, Making the Case for Speaking the Truth to Power, and all of the teachings from this year's conference for a donation of $300 by Labor Day. It's available via on-demand video streaming or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting lcms.org slash stewardship. I'm Pastor Watson. Are you tired of entertainment and in need of the peace that passes human understanding? I invite you to Augsburg Lutheran Church in Shawnee, Kansas to receive the gifts of Jesus. Augsburg is scriptural, traditional, historical, sacramental, and reverent. The Church of the Apostles, the Councils, and the Reformers wants to be your church family also. For more information, visit us at AugsburgLutheranChurch.org. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Our Savior Lutheran, Elizabeth, Colorado. Glory of Christ Lutheran, Plymouth, Minnesota. Hope Lutheran, St. Louis, Missouri. Lutheran Church of the Resurrection, Waterville, Maine. 
our Redeemer Lutheran, Lexington, Kentucky, Redeemer Lutheran, Fort Wayne, Indiana, St. John Lutheran, Corcoran, Minnesota, St. Paul Lutheran, Hancock, Maryland, Trinity Lutheran, Garden City, Kansas, and Zion Lutheran, Fredericktown, Missouri. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.